0: Welcome into the only podcast that Young Metro actually trusts. Jake Hackinson, Anthony Leo. Glad to have you joining us. What a time to be alive. Huge weekend. UFC 196. Also today, we're going to discuss Stephen Curry. We're going to pick our Olympic team for the Rio Olympics. So it's going to be a good time overall. We're going to start things off with UFC 196. Two huge fights. Holly Holm, Misha Tate. And then you have Conor McGregor in... I guess the improvised fight, that's what they call it in UFC, Leo. I'm not a huge UFC guy, but when when someone gets hurt, what do they call it?
1: Well, it's kind of a replacement at this point. Replacement, there we go. Because we are 11 days, or we we were 11 days from the fight happening when the replacement did occur. So Conor McGregor is now going to take on Nate Diaz in a welterweight fight at 170 pounds. Originally, this fight was scheduled for Conor McGregor to fight Rafael Dos Anjos at 155 which would have been a lightweight title match Conor was looking to make history to become the first UFC fighter ever to hold two UFC belts from two divisions at one time he would have held the featherweight at 145 which he just beat Jose Aldo for and he would have had the lightweight if he were to beat RDA but RDA got hurt and he broke his foot Conor likes to call it a bruise that's what Conor does he's a great fight promoter and he's a superstar in the UFC, the biggest one since Ronda. I know, Ronda is still around, and she's not going anywhere anytime soon. But Conor and Ronda have dominated the UFC.
0: Conor promotes fights in UFC like Floyd Mayweather promotes fights for boxing. He just gets out there and he says whatever he needs to do to get fans, you know, riled up to get people interested and ready to, you know, ready to pay and watch this kind of a fight. Because what is it, a hundred dollars to to watch this fight on this
1: weekend? Not a hundred. It's probably going to cost you like. 55 or 60 I think is the pay-per-view rate but like you said you know Conor is you know that's how Conor is Connor's all about the money Conor is probably the best fight promoter in a long long time the UFC for the UFC probably since Chuck Liddell and that's been that's a long time ago so you know Chuck Liddell you know uh, Randy Couture there's just so many guys in UFC over in you know, the history that have just really grown the sport and helped it become what it is today you know, George St. Pierre, Matt Hughes, there's just so many guys, and now you have Conor McGregor, this one guy, you know, coming from, you know, Dublin, Ireland, the, the guy comes on the scene and he's, you know, really, you know, made an impact. Um, Let's
0: talk about McGregor for a second. His record's 19-2, and two. he's dominated for the last several years, he comes into this fight where he was prepared to go at 145, now all of a sudden he has 11 days notice, as you said, 12 days notice. He's going to be fighting at 170, so he's going to be putting on a lot of pounds real quick against a guy that's already been set at that weight. Nate Diaz, who's he, he's basically been training at that 170 mark, that's going to be a huge disadvantage for Connor.
1: Yeah, I mean, most people think it's going to be a disadvantage for Connor because he is going to be changing weight. However, what people don't realize, I think, a lot of the time is that Connor walks around every day in his normal life at about 165, 170, anyways. So this fight, he's not even. Losing the weight because in normal fight when he fights at featherweight he loses the weight to get to 145, weighs in at 145 and if you see pictures of him on weigh-in day he looks like a whole different person. That's how skinny he is. It's scary to look at him if you put a pick stitch or something together. You look at him at 145 compared to you know now what he is at 170 and he's walking around does his press conferences and does his all his media appearances and it's a totally different person. So now Connor is losing you know no weight. He's eating normally. Doing his normal thing, and he's going to fight at 170. Yes, it's going to be a little bit of a difference. People are questioning, will he be as fast at 170 as he is at 145? Well, that's that's something we're going to see this coming weekend. You know, Pete, Nate Diaz is a great, great, elite, elite boxer in the UFC. He's got great jujitsu, and you know, Connor is another guy in great boxing. You know, all round was a great game. So I'm really looking forward to this fight. Um, I think it's going to be a good one. Um, it's unfortunate that we couldn't watch history be made. But um, we'll have to we'll have to wait for that.
0: Connor's on a 15, 15 fight, you know, win streak right now. And as you said, huge, you know, sort of boxing gonna be a the the main style in this fight is Connor's won seventeen of his fights by knockout. So he's not a guy that's gonna try and grapple with, with Nate Diaz. And as you said about Nate Diaz, he's a guy that, that wants to try and, and throw punches as well. So for the fans I think it's gonna be a great fight to watch because anytime Connor's in a fight gets a lot of people to watch in the first place. But Just, you know, I think the fans like it more when it's a a more of a striking match compared to more of a ground-and-pound grappling style.
1: Yeah, of course. Fans want to see two guys get up there and just throw, and, you know, that's what they want. They don't want to see two guys, you know, hold each other down for three rounds, five rounds, and and do anything like that. You know, the only guys that people really like to watch do that maybe were Anderson Silva, because Anderson Silva in his prime when he was on the ground was incredible from the ground. He could beat you from the top, from the bottom. didn't really matter. But um, most of the time, you know, these fans want to see two guys stand up, and that's what we're going to get this weekend. We're going to get two guys that just you're going to throw. Connor's in there to win. He loves the money. This is a big money fight. Nate Diaz called him out multiple times. This is what we got. So it's going to be a great fight. But on top of this, we have also on the card, you're going to have Holly Holm, and you're going to have Misha Tate fight each other. So people are forgetting that we're having Holly Holm, who just beat Ronda, who was iconic, is, you know, an upset she you know was able to get that belt and we're going to see Holly take on Misha Tate in her for you know defend her title for the first time so you know that's another thing that people have to remember that Holly Holm is fighting on this card it's not just all about Conor this weekend
0: no exactly it's it's a huge you know co-main event fight Holly Holm of course has the belt now she's 10 and 0 in her career and she is the definition of a boxer pretty much in the UFC ring that's how she was able to beat Ronda Rousey and Listen, Misha Tate's a good fighter, but I don't know if I if I think that she's going to be able to beat Holly Holm in this upcoming fight.
1: Yeah, a lot of people are sleeping on Misha, but people have to realize that Misha Tate has been on a tear over the last two years. Um, she's fought Ronda, I think twice, brought her to the second round, I think once. So Misha Tate is, you know, she's a good fighter. She's very well-rounded. Um, I like what, she, like what she can do, but... Holly is probably the better fighter overall. She's, uh, I think almost close to a 19 time boxing champion before she entered the UFC. She's just been an incredible, uh, tear. Um, you saw what she was able to do to Rhonda. She, what she was able to do is Rhonda was coming after and chasing her and Holly was able to just stick and move. And, you know, if Rhonda can't get you on the ground, you know, that's to her disadvantage because people said that her boxing isn't as strong. So that's why Holly was able to really, you know, take advantage of that. Um, for Misha, though, Misha is well-rounded, can stand, but her, I think her strongest point, also like Ronda, is, is on the ground. So um, I think if Misha brings this fight to the ground, she has a great chance to win this fight, but uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I personally would like to see Holly win so we can get that rematch. We can see Ronda uh, fight Holly sometime probably in the fall because I don't think Ronda will be coming back till at least the fall. I would say probably September, October.
0: Yeah, as you said, Tate's on a four on a four match, you know, winning streak, and she she's well rounded and she gets a lot of her her wins, you know, via submission. She has a lot of su- six submission wins, three by knockout. So th- this is a well rounded fighter, and I I think she matches up almost equally to the sort of style that Ronda Rousey tries to bring. Just obviously not that same level. So I think that might you know, fare better for, for home in this fight as she just fought someone with similar style in Rousey the last time she went out and fought.
1: Yeah, um, you could see, like, obviously, like, the, the styles are going to be a little bit um, similar between Misha and Ronda, but I think Holly is going to be well prepared for, for any style that comes out with her. But uh, I think Holly overall is just the better fighter, I think, because she's also able to kickbox very well and if you're taller as well, I think Holly is much, is a little taller than Misha. You can keep your reach. You can keep away from her. You know, throw some kicks. She can keep Misha a little bit off of her, from her. So if she can defend the takedown and Holly can keep this fight standing, I don't think Misha really has a chance on the, uh, standing up. So Misha's really going to have to do a good job of, you know, putting the pressure on and, you know, trying to attack her legs, trying to get her on the ground as much as possible because anything standing, I think Holly's just going to tee off. So, well, I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, I really want to see that mat, rematch between Ronda and Holly.
0: Yeah, home just to just to you know read it off. She's five eight. She has a sixty nine uh sixty nine inch reach. You compare that with Tate, who's five six and a sixty five inch reach. So, two inches in height difference and four inches in the reach. So that will definitely play a part, especially in a in a striking sort of fight, which is what home will want. She'll have that that reach in the arm.
1: Yeah. Um. Another thing, Holly is from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And that's where John Jones is from as well. And they are training partners. So, John Jones is someone with an incredible reach. So, I know they do a little sparring together here and there. You know, they're really good friends. So, I am I know John has been helping her in her camp. So, you know, you're fighting one of the best fighters in the world. And you're sparring with that person who has an incredible reach. You know, you're, you're prepared for anything at that point. Because John Jones has like an 84-inch reach. And the guy's like 6'4". So, if you're, if you're training with the best, you're going to, you know, that's going to bring the best out in you. So... Like we said, we're really looking forward to the fight this weekend. It's a big fight for the UFC. Uh, it's going to be Saturday night, ten o'clock. Tune in. You know, order the pay per view, and you'll be tuning in for a great fight. But just a uh, heads up, though,
0: the fight that you're looking for won't actually start until like eleven thirty, because that's how it always works. I always tune in at like ten o'clock, and then I'm like, oh wait, there's five fights before that, so I'll come back in an hour and a half.
1: Yeah, you have to tune in a little later on if you want to see the actual, you know, co-main event, main event between Holly and Misha. and then you got Connor and Nate, probably a little later on, you know, towards 12 o'clock Eastern time. But um, if you're in, if you're in out west, you know, the times are great, sports times out there, can't beat it. But you know, we're we're here on the East Coast, so we're gonna have to deal with the times of being a little later on. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. I'm probably gonna go out to a sports bar, main event, Farmingdale. Shout out to them. They they do a great job always have the fights so i'll probably be out there pay the five dollar cover charge and watch the game and the fights and everything that's going to be on that night so i'm looking forward to it but um we'll make it a quick yeah. transition when we come back we're going to talk about stephen curry and the warriors and um how much of a how good curry's been in his video game self he's doing things that are just out of this world so uh, we'll be right back unflippable unflappable unleakable the Gustbuster is the only umbrella that won't flip inside out, rip, tear, or leak, capable of withstanding winds over 55 miles per hour. All of our umbrellas are constructed of the finest quality materials and backed by a limited lifetime guarantee. What are you waiting for? Visit gustbuster.com and get your Gustbuster
0: today. Welcome back in. We are now going to talk about Steph Curry and the Warriors. Warriors on the season 54 and 5. They're on that pace to get to 73 wins and break that Bulls record. Probably doesn't make Phil Jackson that happy, but you know what? I could care less because Phil Jackson's got his own problems to worry about. Anyways, back to the Warriors. Steph Curry, 30.7 points per game, six and a half assists, two steals a game, which is fourth in the NBA. Listen, people say that he doesn't play, you know, a ton of defense. He's not the best defender on ball and, and overall, but this is a guy that, that will put his hands in there a couple of times, poke free a ball, and, and come up with, you know, a steal or two a game. So he, he helps out in his own ways, and that Warriors defense overall is pretty tough when they have Bogut down on the paint defending the rim, and Thompson's an elite defender out in the wing, along with Green, who's just all over the place. This Warriors team, on pace to break the record, and... 538 put out some numbers. This was on February 18th, the last time they updated this. And their, the Warriors' chance of winning 73 games was 54%. And the chance of winning 74, 36%, 75, 20%. That was on February 18th. The Warriors since have... Have they lost since then? I don't believe they have. Uh,
1: uh, Portland, I think. Portland, they have So both. they have the
0: one loss to Portland... But I would say overall, those numbers are pretty much set. They're, they're not going to change that much because that one loss, especially beating you know the thunder in that, in that game a couple, couple days ago, as well as the Hawks last night. Those are tough opponents, and those will factor in more into the chances of them winning because those are teams that they might have a chance to lose to, unlike you know some random teams like they're gonna have to play the Knicks coming up, I know that. And that should pretty much be an automatic win for them.
1: Yeah, like you said, the Warriors are just on another level right now. They're playing so well. You know, we saw that crazy matchup with the Thunder. You saw Curry get a 35-40 footer to win that game. The Thunder really did have that game in the bag, and they really gave it away. You know, Durant had a crucial turnover. You know, the Thunder and threw it away, and you saw that. The Warriors were able to force overtime, and from there it was over. Once you knew overtime was coming, you knew that that was it. So... You look at a team like the Warriors right now. What they're able to do, both sides of the ball, offensively, defensively. You know, they can play. You know, Draymond Green at the one. You saw last night. You know, Curry's not playing. Who do they play at the one? They play Sean Livingston for a little bit, but when they need to make plays, they put Draymond at the one. So you have a guy in Draymond Green who can play one through four, even play five when they go small. You know, they're just so versatile. It's just so hard to defend them. They move the ball so well. You have two of the best shooters in the world on one team. You got you can Thompson's probably the best. It's pure spot-up shooter in the NBA right now. Even off the dribble, he's great. But stuff that Curry's doing off the dribble, come on. It, it, what, what more do you want to do? I mean, you saw the one play against the Thunder. Steven Adams is seven feet. He's on top of him, and he's in, in his face. Curry doesn't have to see the basket. He just throws it up there, puts, puts the arc on that ball, spins it, and it's in. No problem. How can one person do that? With a seven-footer, and he's literally on top of you, he's giving you maybe a, an inch of space. It's really, it's amazing what he's been able to do. He's already broke the single-season record again that he's set twice already, maybe three, three times before this. He's at over 286, 87 three-pointers already this year. People are talking about, can he break 400 this year? That would be on a crazy pace. Well, that's what he's on
0: pace for. He's on pace pretty much for 400. 400
1: threes in a season. You, that just shows you the evolution of this game. People, it's amazing. We used to be a dominant, you know, the big men. You used to be Shaq. You used to be all these guys, Barkley. Now it's all guard play. It's all small ball. And these guys, you can just light it up from outside. And, you know, Curry's the best shooter of all time. He's putting numbers up that are absurd. It's crazy. And know, we we can compare his seasons to, you know, other seasons, which we'll do in a little bit. But, I mean, the guy's having an unreal year. It's no doubt that he'll win the MVP again. And it's, you know, it's, and it's not like other people are having bad years that are, you know, like Russell, Russell Westbrook, Westbrook is having, having an MVP season. MVP if it season. wasn't for
0: Steph Curry. Exactly.
1: It's like the, it's like all the times when LeBron would have these um, unreal seasons and Kevin Durant would have these just amazing seasons as well, but LeBron would just be a little bit better and LeBron would keep winning those MVPs. Finally Durant was able to edge one out, you know, a couple was it 2 years ago now. So but Curry's going to probably go back to back here. This dynasty might continue to run another from the table. What if they make it to the finals again, which it looks like they will. But speaking of that, you know, the team that we only we think has the best shot at them in the playoffs, the Thunder. Do you think the Spurs really have like much of a shot? I mean, yes, they have a shot, but the matchup-wise, I think that the Thunder match up better one through five, you know, with the Warriors. I just think that the the Spurs have too many of these big big guys. You know, you, Duncan's getting older. You got Aldridge, who's great. Parker, who's great. But they just don't I don't think they can match up well enough athletically with the Warriors.
0: I agree with you. I I never want to count out the Spurs, especially not not a team coached by Greg Popovich. What what, you know, Pop's been able to do with that Spurs team over the last 10-15 years has been been amazing. I think that the matchup is better for for the Thunder because of the two stars the Thunder have and they're they're more well versed against a Warriors team as you mentioned with the with the Spurs they're they're a bigger team. They're they're now sort of transitioning into you know Tim Duncan to Lamarcus Aldridge. They try and run the offense a little bit more through the post, something that not really benefits a matchup against against the Warriors, who are a team that will get out and run, team that looks to shoot a lot of threes. But but the Spurs are a talented team. They have a solid record. You know you have Tony Parker, who, who's you know just a top tier point guard. Tim Duncan. Marcus Aldridge, Danny Green's having a good season, and you can't forget Kawhi Leonards, who's one, one of the elite defenders in the NBA, also putting up big numbers, probably 20, close to 20 points a game. So if he's able to guard Thompson or, or maybe Green, that would help out. But as you've seen in games past during this season, he, he he hasn't been able to. Danny Green, who's a good defender as well, and Kawhi Leonard, haven't been able to shut down the, the matchups of, of uh, Curry, Thompson, and, Draymond, if they, if they decide they want to put Kawhi on, Draymond just hasn't worked. That's why I think the Thunder are a better matchup, especially with Westbrook's size. If he's able to attack Curry defensively, get Curry into foul trouble early, that would play a huge role because, as you saw last game, they had Westbrook posting in, in, you know, in the mid-post uh, working on Curry, and he picked up a couple fouls on Curry re- really quick.
1: Yeah, you can get Stephen Curry in foul trouble that's amazing. You, you, if you put, if you can get him two fouls quick, get him out the game, and then you only got to deal with maybe Clay and Draymond now for a little bit. You know, you're, you're doing yourself a favor. Uh, so, because if you look at the stack here, you got Stephen Curry on the court this season for the Warriors is at plus 790, plus 790. Take him off the court, the Warriors Steph Curry and without him minus 130. So there's a huge difference with and without him. And you saw that last night against the Hawks. They yes, they pulled out a win, but it wasn't pretty. They went to OT. Draymond hit a ridiculous three, falling away with the shot clock running out, and hit that just to get them through. So if you can post up a guy like Curry, you know, you make him play defense, you know, until they they will eventually, yes, they will eventually switch off. So if Westbrook is going to post up Curry, eventually they're going to put Thompson there. They're going to put Iguodala. They'll put someone else. But that type of matchup, when you have these bigger, stronger guards, Westbrook, Waiters, Randy Foy, you got Kyle Singler. Yes, he's terrible offensively at times. (laughs) Yes, he's, he's longer, he's taller, he's, but he's as bad as he is, he fits the role better because he's a longer defender, he's a, long, he's a bigger guy. That's to the Thunder's benefit when they play a team like the Warriors that are filled with those type of guys. Bigger, longer, faster. So those are the type of guys you need when you're playing the Warriors. The Thunder have all of that. They have probably the best scorer in the NBA in Kevin Rank. If you're talking about pure scoring, not shooting, not what Steph does, pure scoring the basketball Who's more efficient than Kevin Durant? He can pull up Not from anywhere. Not Anthony. Not Yeah, well, that's another story. I just had to throw his name I in there. Had to throw it in there. But Kevin Durant right now. The guy's incredible. He's 6'11". You can put him much say 7 foot. Plays like a point guard. Plays the two. He can post you up. He can shoot the three. Does a dirk. He does whatever he wants. Then you got Westbrook. Westbrook's on another level. He's averaging, you know, a 24, 25. He's a triple-double like almost every night it's it's amazing what they're able to do. So I think the Thunder just have the best chance against the Warriors. Am I saying they're going to beat the Warriors? I I don't know if they're going to beat the Warriors, but they just give them the best chance to beat them in, uh, in the Western Conference Finals if we do get that far. Would I love to see that matchup? Absolutely. I think we'd all sign up for a seven-game series of Warriors and Thunder. I don't know about you, Hack, but that's kind of what I want to see.
0: Yeah, I would love to see a Warriors-Thunder matchup for, for all the reasons we just talked about. And... Now, just really quickly, I know this wasn't in the show, what we discussed prior, but can we just talk for a second about the fact that the Knicks lost, once again, by like 20 points yesterday, and that Carmelo Anthony told a fan to go ask Dolan for a refund, and he called him Dolan, I love that, that that's my favorite part of the night, he was like, go, go ask Dolan for a refund, he doesn't have any re- you know, care or, or sort of like respect for, for James Dolan.
1: I mean, who should at this point? I mean, the guy has owned the team for how long? I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you. He's got Phil Jackson over there now. The guy, you know, Phil was supposed to be coming here and be the savior for the Knicks. And yes, granted, he did pick Porzingis, but when it went away, Porzingis kind of just fell in his hands with the, with the fourth pick. So he kind of had a no choice. All right, we'll take the kid. You put him out there. He's turned out to be very good. But overall, this season has been a complete waste for the Knicks. People thought this season, you know, after signing a flaw, after signing Lopez, you bring in, you know, a couple of these role players, Kyle McQuinn, up with the other guys. And they just haven't all panned out. The best signing out of all of them is probably Lopez, believe it or not. Um, you know, there, there's talk now that they're going to do another 10 day contract with, you know, Tim Frazier or Ray McCallum. They just got cut from the Spurs. Um, they signed But not with, for with Jim the 10-day. They're not going to bring that If you're going to do a 10 day deal for someone, and you know your guard play is atrocious because Holdy Calderon can't guard my, my grandpa or my grandma. Like, it, it, You should at least give for debt you know, or the guys are going to bring in a chance to play. The guy played six minutes in, his, in the 10 days. What's the point of having him there to be a practice squad player, to have some bodies to play with? That's you, not... you know what I love?
0: You know what I love is that Kurt Rambis originally said that that uh, Jimmer Fredette had so many problems, You know, so many things, this and that. That's why he wasn't playing. And then they asked him either yesterday, I, I think it was yesterday, and he said that he really liked what Fredette was doing. Now, please tell me, what you saw in those four games when he was sitting on the bench not playing for you that you really liked, was it in practice that you saw so much improvement over the course of 10 days? I don't understand Kurt Rambis. I mean, his record speaks for for himself. That's why he's like 50 and 170 now with wins and losses. So that that speaks for himself. Phil Jackson doesn't know how to run a team. The, the best thing that could happen for the Knicks, and I've said this for a long time and I believe this, is that the, the Knicks get terrible to a point where they have no choice but to fire fire their coach, fire fire their GM. That's what I wanted for all my teams. I you know, I was hoping for the same thing from from the Islanders back in the day when the Islanders were terrible. You get bad enough that fans don't want to deal with it and that eventually they have to make a move. The Jets did it when when Rex Ryan just got to a point where the Jets were, were a laughing stock and they had no other choice but to fire him. You get to that certain point, the Mets did it when all those years, they were terrible. They had to make changes, and they and they eventually made those changes.
1: Yeah, I mean the change is definitely coming. I can tell you that right now. We saw, you saw know, you know, Phil Jackson's first, you know, season there. He hires Derek Fisher, hires a guy you know think can run, terrible hire can think can run the triangle. You know, comes one. You know, we I think we talked about this in our in our first podcast. You know, last you know last week, but you know, I think Phil wanted Fisher, and Fisher had the interest, but he's coming in his first season right off the court. Of actually playing the NBA, hopped in there and said, "You know what? I know the triangle. With some oversee from Phil, we can get this done. We can, you know, we'll be presentable." And they finished with 17 wins, 17 wins. And Carmelo was—I mean, he's he, what can the guy do? You have to feel bad for him because, like, he's so good. He's one of the be- one of the best scorers in the league. He's getting up there in age; he's only getting older, and time is only running out for him. Time was not on his side. If I were him, I would—I have I know he signed the new deal. He's got the no-trade clause this season ends You go into the off season. you got to go straight to phil and say hey if you can't fix this and you cannot spend the money and get me people here and you can't get an, an elite player to help me and an actual point guard an nba point guard that can run a pick and roll with efficiency or run the triangle i'm out i'm done
0: Dude, well, well you bring up you bring up the best point of all will phil jackson this offseason which is probably his biggest offseason, where the Knicks have no draft picks, not a first- or a second-round pick because those picks have been traded. We talked about this. Will we'll, we'll Phil be able to sign a free agent to come to New York? And I'll answer that question for you. No, no big-name free agent will come and play in New York. And I'll tell you this, the Knicks aren't good. New York is not that great of a place to, to play anymore. There, there are other big-name markets, and people want to win. People will go to a smaller market if they, they have a chance to win. Listen, Melo loves New York because he's all about his brand. But you can go brand yourself in plenty of other cities, and there's big name cities that are, have better teams. You can go play for the Clippers. You can go play in, in Chicago. There's so many other places that have better teams than the Knicks, a lot better team, and where he could, you know, where you could brand yourself as a player.
1: Yeah, you bring up the whole branding. I think like branding used to be a big thing, and you know, being able to go to New York, go to these big markets, and you be able to, you know, just do more because you're in such a big market. That's no longer the case. You can go, you know, to these smaller markets, and you can be with Nike. You can do all these things. It look, Kevin Durant is playing in Oklahoma City. Okay, that it's not a big market. If you're good and you perform on the court, you're gonna get. What deals. was his shoe deal worth? His shoe deal with Nike when it when he the Under Armour was pushing for him. His shoe deal is worth two hundred fifty million dollars. So there okay? you go. So. You don't have to go to these big markets, LA, Chicago, New York, you know, these places like that are all big, considered the big market. You don't have to go there. You can go to these small markets. Maybe not the small, small markets like, you know, you can't go to, like, unless you're a superstar, maybe in Milwaukee, let's say. But Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, they're proving it. You can go to a small market and you can build a brand for yourself. You can be that player. Russell Westbrook has two All Star Game MVPs. He's well-known around the NBA. He's a household name because he's incredible. If you're good on the court, you make a name for yourself, your brand is fine. You have no problem whatsoever. But yeah. it, it, that's a whole other story. I'm happy you brought up the Knicks. We can at least go on a really little rant about them. Let's just put it this way. They were 22-22. They're 3-15 and 15 since then. So there's, there's, your, there's your overall season for them. Oh, hold on, Will. One, they're, they're one quick point.
0: question. One quick question. Have the Knicks gotten better or worse? With bringing with firing Fisher and bringing in Rambis,
1: I Yesterday. honestly think they got worse. Okay, I think, that's all I needed to know. I think Kurt Rambis has no clue what he's doing. I just, I, it's not even that. I think the players don't like realize that they don't want to play for him. There's, the, the whole locker room situation, like that's a big thing in the NBA. If your locker room is not together, you see it this year with the Houston Rockets. How good were they last year? Western Conference Finals.
0: Where are they this well, year? That was. That was also a little bit of a fluke from the Clippers who blew that series. But yes. anyways,
1: but anyways, not not still. You, it's still the same, you know, thing. Like the locker room this year for them is terrible. Harden can't play with Dwight. They're complaining. they a lot, of, a lot, a lot of back and forth, a lot of bickering. So, I think the Knicks have that problem too. I think the locker room just realizes, you know, there's got to be something made up here. It's got to be fixed, and it's got to happen. And if it's not, gonna I'll leave happen, you on this. I'll be leave sorry.
0: you on this in this situation. Just remember, Kurt Rambis and Phil Jackson said, "These are the players we want." These are the guys we want to have here. This is the team we want to build around. And that was about guys like, no offense, but Kylo Quinn, you know, a guy that's an NBA journeyman. You have other guys on that bench, Lou Amundsen, Lance Thomas, who's been, you know, a, a dependable NBA player for the Knicks actually this season, but he, he's no stud player. The Knicks bench is pretty awful except for Derek Williams. But anyways, that those are the guys the Knicks want anyways We'll go back. We're going to talk about Steph. We're going to compare him to some of the greatest seasons from other players because Steph's numbers this year are pretty crazy. And people want to say that this is the best season ever. Well, let's not jump to, to conclusions there. I'm going to say it right now because we're not going to discuss this. Will Chamberlain averaged 50 and 25 for a season. So we're not going to talk about big men because it's just not fair to compare and compare Will Chamberlain's error to the error of, of Steph Curry where it was just completely different. But Will Chamberlain, 50 and 25. So just just think about that for a second. Every game, he put up 50 points, and he averaged 25 assists. So just think about
1: that. We're not going to go there and compare it. Like you said, we're not going to be able to compare Steph Curry to the time before time when Wilt was doing these amazing things, the time of Bill Russell and all that. We're going to compare it to more of the past, you know, modern times when you have Jordan, Allen Iverson, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, all these guys who have had fantastic careers, you know, just amazing, amazing seasons. Now, I think we brought it before. Steph's averaging thirty six and six and a half, and about a, two steals a game. He's the most outstanding. Outstanding thing, obviously, is what he's doing from the three point line. Their percentage is over forty five percent. He's, you know, bro- broke his own record again. We said he's on pace for four hundred threes in a season. People make the argument that the best shooter ever is Steph Curry. There are other people. I heard Isaiah Thomas on NBA TV the other night making the argument that Larry Bird has to be in the conversation with Curry. Of course, he's in the conversation, but I can't know if I, I don't know if I can say that Larry Bird's better. Obviously, he did not watch Larry Bird play in person, or you know, I was not alive for that time. But I know a little bit of history of the game from my, you know, I'm a big, big NBA guy, and yes, Larry Bird's a great shooter, but I cannot put him in the same conversation as. What Stephen Curry right now is doing. Now, if you want to compare Curry to other great seasons, we we picked out a few. The first one we'll compare here is Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, yes, the greatest player ever. No argument. No one's ever going to be better. He had so many great seasons, just hard to pick one. But we picked '88-'89 season. He averaged 32 and points per game, eight rebounds, and eight assists in a season. That's his one of his better seasons. He also averaged another another season. He had 37 in a season. So it's it's been a great. You know, season, like He's had so many good ones, but that's the one we picked.
0: Yeah, every season that Jordan played pretty much was an all-time great season. If you put his numbers next to anyone else's name, that would be their career best pretty much no matter what season it was. You look at another guy who is more current and more of the sort of player that Curry is who, who's a scorer. You look at Allen Iverson, 5 06. 33 points a game, 7 assists, 3 boards. That, that's pretty much Curry numbers. Iverson obviously didn't do it from the 3-point line like Curry does. And he also played in a lot of fourth quarters, unlike Curry who sits out a lot of fourth quarters. But Iverson's numbers, th- that's about as similar to Curry as you're going to find in a, in a point guard in the recent era.
1: Yeah, and people make the argument that Allen Iverson, Steph Curry, who's the best pound-for-pound player in the NBA ever, and you're going from pound for pound, you are talking about these guys who are smaller, or lighter. You know, there's a it's a close, it's close. You you have to also include a guy, Isaiah Thomas. We have Isaiah Thomas is one of his seasons here, 84, 85 season, averaged 21 points, 14 assists in a season. To average 14 assists. So that means every night he's going out, and he's having between 12 and 14 assists just to come close to average 14. So that's another great season out of a small player, a guy that plays like Curry. Plays like Allen Iverson, obviously Isaiah and Aaya didn't aren't doing what Steph's doing from, from, from three and not shooting the ball nearly as well. No one ever will. But these are just some of the greatest seasons, you know, that we think that, are, that, that pop out to us that we can compare kind of what Steph's doing this year. And then the, I think the final one hack, LeBron season, 07-08. 30 points, 7 assists, 8 rebounds. That's incredible.
0: That's pretty pretty close to to averaging a triple double, and that's that's just insane. The numbers that he was putting up on that team, also a team that wasn't that good, you know, built around him. the, the supporting cast really wasn't that good. Now, was Delonte West still on that team?
1: I'm not sure. You'd have to best reference that one, but um, well, I think I, I might have to. You you should do that, but
0: because you know they just found him wandering on the parking lot
1: yes of course he was wandering on a parking lot i saw it on i think it was on barstool actually barstool's great shout out to them but um why wasn't he
0: wearing a shoe again
1: i I don't know there was a whole issue with Devontae west and his wanderings around uh the area he's in where where was he found where was he exactly do we know
0: he was in some sort of parking lot now i can't remember if it was like a, a parking lot for a strip club i'm not sure if that was what the deal was but there was some sort of issue where he was wandering on a parking lot he, he looked clearly like he was intoxicated he wasn't wearing a shoe I, I don't know what was wrong with him he, he kind of looked homeless to to an extent uh, and I, I pulled it up 07 08 Delonte West was on Cleveland and he averaged per game well, let me pull that up per game 10 points a game he threw in four and a half assists he played in 26 games for Cleveland that season
1: we had a pretty good year in 26 games. If he had that, that's not bad at all.
0: Yeah, 10 points a game, four assists. He he was probably the starting point guard back then for that Cleveland team. I can't really remember, but once again, you have to. You know, we included LeBron in this sort of conversation because we consider him pretty much a point forward or a point guard to an extent because of the amount of time that he handles the ball for for that Cleveland team and now this Cleveland team. So we we threw him threw him in the mix with. Players like Curry, obviously he's not the same type of player. We understand that. He's a big guy. He doesn't shoot as many threes. And LeBron's three-point percentage this year has gone down the drain. It's been awful. Shooting, like, in the the high 20s, I think, from from three-point range. So that's not exactly good numbers. They have problems there in Cleveland with the chemistry in the locker room. And, you know, any time that reports come out two or three times a season about chemistry, it's an actual issue. It's not not something you can brush off. And I I don't know what this one's all about. I think this one's about Kevin Love again or, you know, some sort of subliminal message that's been thrown out there. But they have problems in Cleveland this year. We assume they're going to make it to the finals. We assume they'll face the Warriors. I assume that it will end up being the same result as last year.
1: Yeah, we assume that they also will make it to the finals again um, to play the Warriors. It'd be nice to see if everyone's healthy. We have a healthy Kyrie. We have a healthy K-Love. And we get a healthy Shumpert. A lot of these guys, you know, that were banged up last year. And, you know, go into the finals. And, you know, we don't have to have, see, you know, Matthew Delvedova guard Steph Curry, which is not even a contest. So we're looking forward to that. Hopefully we can see that happen. But, you know, as a Thunder fan, I would would like to see the Thunder do make it. But beat the Warriors. The changes have happened very slim. So hey, we're, anything we're, we're is possible. Sure.
0: Seven-game series.
1: We're not sure. But... And- you
0: know. since, since we were discussing some of the, the, the greatest seasons, I thought I'd throw things, you know, a little bit around. We'll give you the worst players on teams to win championships, and I got two for you. Two guys, one that I really appreciate, guy that very little people have ever heard of. You really have to be a big NBA fan to hear this guy. Monk Batir, and he played for this—he played on three different teams, actually, in his three NBA seasons, was from China— Name is spelled completely different than it's pronounced. It uh, took me a while to figure out how it's pronounced because I really didn't remember him from all those years ago. He played in 104, one 4 won his title in 3 with the Spurs. When he won that title with the Spurs, he averaged 0. 0.9 points a game and averaged 1.1 fouls a game. He averaged more fouls a game than he did points for a championship team, but he still got a ring.
1: He still got a ring. You know who else got a couple rings? Adam Morrison. Adam Morrison ride, ride the bench of the Lakers.
0: And he's he got, sure did.
1: He got a couple of rings cuz of Kobe. But, you know, that's that. So, on that note, we're going to take a little bit of a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Olympic team this summer coming in. We're going to compare it to 2012, see what the differences is and see who's going to be off, who's going to be on. We'll pick it we'll pick that apart and we'll, do, we'll come back in a little bit.
0: Once again, welcome back in. Final segment time. We're going to close you out on a topic that Leo and I have spent some time discussing. We actually discussed this going back all the way to to this last summer because, I don't know, we, we just like basketball. We like picking out these guys that we think are going to make the Olympic team. So we're going to pick our 12 guys for the Olympic roster. And it's a fun thing to do when you look at the fact that USA basketball is so stacked from a standpoint of the guards and every position where there there is going to be elite-level talent that is not going to make this team. So we have the 12 guys that are going to make it, and then we have some honorable mentions for guys that, in case of injury or in case a guy gets hurt or drops out and the circumstance maybe LeBron doesn't, doesn't decide that he wants to go, which I assume he will. But in that circumstance, we have honorable mentions. Those guys will probably get the call. Anyways, let me read off to you the 2012 team that won gold. The team was... Carmelo Anthony, Anthony Davis, Kevin Love, Chris Paul, James Harden, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Tyson Chandler, Iguodala, and Deron Williams, Andre Iguodala. I don't know why I didn't say his first name out of all the players that I just named. When you look at those 12 guys, there's five guys that won't make the team. Deron Williams won't make the team. Tyson Chandler, God no, will not make the team. Andre Iguodala's Uh, old, he won't make the team. Kobe has already said that he's not going to be going out, and Kevin Love, we can pretty much assume, is not going to make the cut because of the way he's performed the last several seasons and just the new talent that's come in from USA Basketball. So we start off with that. There's now five open spots that Leo and I are going to discuss who to fill, and we'll give our honorable mentions.
1: Yeah, there's five spots open. Um, I think we can all agree on at least the first three, and then after that, maybe the last two, we can have a little bit of a debate, you know, everyone can have their, you know, opinions on what you think, obviously when you play, in you know, the Olympics, the play is a little different, and the rules are a little different, you know, you got guys from Europe that, you know, you have these stretch fives, and that's what the NBA is becoming now, it's becoming more of that, stretch four, stretch five guys, but, we also have some still, we still have some of these, you know, very dominant centers, but, Let's start with the first three. The first three, no doubt, no doubt about it. Stephen Curry, point guard, gonna make. He's the best it. player in the NBA. Best player so in the NBA, so you're not. He's gonna make the team. He's taking Darren Williams' spot. Let's let's just say that. Kawhi Leonard, ultimate defender, great player, All Star this year, Defensive Player of the Year ready, and it, NBA Finals MVP. Only other player to do that, I think, is Jordan. So, Kawhi's making it. Let's say that Kawhi takes Iguodala's spot at the three. Now you got Paul George. Paul George coming back from a gruesome, gruesome knee injury. I think he makes it this year coming in. I would say he takes the spot of Kobe. Yes, they play different positions, but Paul George is one, similar to Durant, and you saw how Durant lights it up in the Olympic game where you have these athletic threes and fours that can really guard one through five because no one, you know, Olympic wise besides when you when you play Spain, you got Pau Gasol, you got you know, Marcus and you got Ibaka over there as well. Well, they have some actual big guys with some with some body. Other than that, there's not really many big guys. Now we come to the point where we can argue over the last two spots. We now said that will Blake Griffin or Drummond make it at the 4 and then we have DeMarcus well, Drummond's Cousins the center though. Yeah, he is, but for this and the like way we do it in you know well, the way that the Olympics is, we we talked about it goes a little small. So Griffin and Drummond, or then Cousins or DeAndre Jordan, at the pure at, that's pure center right there. So sure. I I don't know what you would pick. So that, Hack, what what do you think, Griffin or Drummond?
0: Well, I'll tell you, coming into this season, I would have told you that there's no chance that Blake Griffin doesn't make this this Olympics mm-hmm. roster, but. You look at the season that he's had, where he, he's been he's been banged up. Now he's had the the whole issue where he he broke his hand punching, you know, a team trainer. I'm not sure how well that's going to play into into the decision making of you know guys like uh, Coach K, who's who's in charge. Tom Thibodeau's also an assistant on the team as well. Uh, Bayheim from Syracuse is an assistant. If I had to say right now, I don't think Blake Griffin makes this team, and. I I don't know. I just think because of the way that this season sort of unfolded for him, and Andre Drummond's having a a terrific season, was an all-star for the first time in his career, if they want to have a big guy on this team to, to, you know, back up sort of the Anthony Davis sort of way, I think you, you put a Drummond on there who's just a physical player, dominating force down low in the post. I think I would take Drummond over Griffin, especially when you look at the fact that Griffin's 6'9", he, 6'10", six, 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 and you can put guys out there like Durant, who who are just the same size but have a lot more ability to space the court, can can handle the ball as well. Anthony Davis is a guy that's now shooting threes. Blake Griffin has a mid-range shot but is not a three-point shooter, so I would lean toward Drummond.
1: You, mean you really can't go wrong... And either, either No, you, no, you, can't, go you can't go wrong. You're talking about elite, elite players. But that's how the Olympics works. you got to pick 12 guys. So, if I had to pick, yes, Griffin's had some trouble this season. He's been injured. He's got the whole quad thing was first. Then he punched the, the trainer, like you said. Put him out even longer. He's missed a big majority of the season. But if we're talking about the Olympics, I want the best players there, regardless of what they have problems in season. And Blake Griffin is one of the 12 best players in the NBA. It's just how it is. He, he can put the ball on the floor, drive it to the basket. He can post up. He has a good shot. And he just, what we've seen from him, he's, it's it's super, super athletic. The, the stuff that this man's able to do is incredible. So if I go into the Olympics and I want my 12 best guys there, yes, we know they're probably going to win again. They're going to dominate every team. They're going to win. The spreads of these much. games are ridiculous. But, I want Blake Griffin there. I think I'd take him over Drummond just because, A, Drummond can't— Yes, he's an elite rebounder, but Drummond can't shoot free throws. He's not very mobile as or as mobile as Blake Griffin. So my opinion, I'll take Blake Griffin.
0: But- and and something—we we sort of just matched up Griffin or Drummond as if those were the only two guys. There are other positions, you know, other spots that a guy might come in and steal that spot. There is no guarantee that, you know, Griffin or Drummond— has a spot the USA roster might go small. They might want to have an extra guard, a guy like you know Jimmy Butler, Damian Lillard, one of those guys sort of fill in. You have to remember that you could put a team out on the court where you have Anthony Davis as your center and have LeBron and Kevin Durant as as you know your power forward, small forward, Russell Westbrook and James Harden out there, and the smallest guy out on the court would be six five. So the USA can can handle not playing with size especially against some of these countries that don't really have a big man at all
1: yeah i mean like we said i think the only team really that we know of i mean i'm not an expert on the european league here but i think you Spain, know Fran Ficilla? Fran Ficilla, that man is an expert he's an international <laughs> expert that's all that man does he's great he's really good and he's great when you, if you watch the uh Know, the draft combine you know he comes in he gives you the full scattering report and all these guys internationally so frank Fischel, shout out to him he's great but i think Spain's really the only team that really has like these dominant big guys and believe and of course they, they're nba players they play here but they're going to play for their home country they're going to play for spain you got the gasol brothers and ibaka as i mentioned before but if you want to guard these guys and you want to do you want to go big then you can make the next argument we're going to have here demarcus cousins or deandre jordan DeAndre Jordan is probably the most athletic five we have in the league. The guy can jump out of the sky. He throws lobs, and he gets, catches them from, you know, from Chris Paul all day long. Without Chris Paul, you can make an argument that DeAndre Jordan's career wouldn't be what it is without the elite point guard he has. I, I think without Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan would be nothing, honestly, because he can't shoot. He has no offensive game besides a lob. What's he doing? So, pretty much. Pretty much. Now, on the other hand, you got DeMarcus Cousins, who can shoot it, put the ball on the floor, beat the living crap out of you in the paint, he can do it all. He has improved dramatically. The only problem with DeMarcus Cousins is his attitude and all that. He's got got a lot of issues there. Other than that, DeMarcus Cousins is the best center that we even have left in the NBA. He is dominant. He had a 50-point game this season. He's had a couple, of, you know, multiple, multiple 30-point games, you know, big rebound games. He's, he's great. So I, if I'm picking right now, I want DeMarcus Cousins.
0: I'm going to agree with you on this one. I think Cousins is a better fit for the Olympic team. For all the reasons you pretty much just said for Blake Griffin, Cousins fits more of that. And DeAndre Jordan is pretty much the same sort of player as as Andre Drummond for the fact that Jordan can't really shoot. He he doesn't really do much besides catch lobs. He's not a good free throw shooter. Just like Drummond, they're pretty much the same player. So I'll I'll lean toward DeMarcus Cousins. However, if I... If I look at this now, and if I was a coach of of this team, you know, picking picking the twelve guys, I don't know if I would take two of the the four of these guys. I I might want to go small and go small ball, as you've seen in the NBA how it's worked when the Warriors have gone small. That that's the new style of basketball that works in the NBA. No reason it couldn't work with when you have the twelve best players overseas. It definitely would continue to work there. So. Maybe one of these four guys between Griffin, Drummond, Cousins, and Jordan gets a spot. I could see Cousins, Griffin, or Drummond, you know, two of the three getting a spot as well. Not sure I see DeAndre Jordan being able to pull in that that last spot. I don't know. What do you think?
1: I mean, the only reason I think we came up with DeAndre Jordan is because he had a very similar game to what Tyson Chandler had. And Tyson Chandler was on the team. Tyson Chandler had no offensive game whatsoever caught lobs and was a defensive shot blocker and that's what deandre jordan is so they're very similar so if they want to keep that same kind of build and they want to keep that same type of thing then maybe they take deandre jordan if they want to have the same build to, to a newer you know more youth more a younger tyson chandler and DeAndre let me ask jordan.
0: you this let me ask you this drummond or deandre jordan if you have to take one of them
1: now they're both they're, they're literally the same shooters. player they're literally the same player but i think deandre jordan is more athletic and if you want the more athletic player for the Olympics and to run the floor better, maybe you take Jordan. It's it's very hard to pick. It, it's a toss up, really. I think I just take I think I take Jordan, because he's more athletic and he runs the floor better.
0: I I actually think I would lean the other way. I think I'd take Drummond because of Drummond's just hustle on on the offensive and defensive glass. But literally, they're the same player. I. I wouldn't have a problem with either of them being selected. I if, I, if I had to choose between both of them, I don't think there's that big of a difference. I guess DeAndre Jordan plays with Chris Paul, and they run the lobs already, and Chris Paul's pretty much a lock on the team. So I could see how chemistry would play a role in that pick. But either way, I don't think it's a big deal. We'll move on now to our honorable mentions. We'll close it out with this. Damian Lillard, who's just destroying the NBA right now, who, if the guards for this Olympic team, just weren't the best, you know, elite elite, he would have a, a chance to be on the team. Jimmy Butler, who I really like a lot, a guy that's improved his game a ton, but happens to be so similar to, to guys like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, he's most likely going to not make this team. Uh, Clay Thompson, terrific shooter, probably, as Leo said earlier, the best pure shooter in the NBA, especially off the catch. He's most likely not going to make it. And then Draymond Green, who Leo and I discussed for a while before the show, will he have a chance to make this team? We felt not just because we don't think that they'll take him at his size to play his position when there's other guys like you have guys like Durant or LeBron that are that same similar kind of player and size and build.
1: Yeah, it's going to be very hard for these guys to make the team. If obviously if injuries do happen, you know, people drop out, if for some reason LeBron says, "Hey, I don't want to play cuz Kobe's not playing," then one of these guys gets their, gets a spot, but it's very hard. There's 12 spots. It's the 12 best players in the world that make this team. Jerry Colangelo is, you know, he's the head of this. You got Coach K, and we mentioned all the assistants before. You know, these are going to be the decision makers. They're going to have that camp you know, sometime over the summer where they cut the roster down. You know, right now, like, there's a ton of guys on it. You know, you got guys like Kyrie. You got all these guards that, you know, are just great, but they're just not going to make it. We don't think so. These are guys that we just have as honorable mentions. But it's very, very hard to pick. I would love to see them all make it, but they're just, unfortunately, it's just not how it works. All right, so we're going to wrap up the show with that. On that note right there. And I uh, hope you guys all like the show this week. Hopefully, we're a little entertaining. We didn't talk about too much uh, Cespedes and his cars or Bartolo Colon and his overweightness and whatever he does. But on, a, on another note, the Yankees did win their spring training game. I don't know if you saw. They did fight back. They were down 6-0 early yeah. on. I just got a notification from Bleacher Report. They wanted to walk up over the Tigers. So it's good to see that the wow. Yankees did, were able to come back from that. You know, it's the first I'm training I'm not going
0: to on this, though, Leo. What would you like to sent his pig to the butcher
1: i did read that that is that is that's amazing they, he, well, he that, said he
0: wasn't going to kill it himself
1: well at least he's not doing that but at least he's going to use it for like you know he's i mean i mean he's gonna yeah but he's gonna get some bacon how much bacon he's gonna have that's a lot of bacon he that's enough bacon will to work? last him the entire season i hope he brings that bacon maybe, with him maybe, everywhere. maybe lucky. he'll share maybe he'll share it bartolo bartolo clone loves love some bacon
0: bartolo doesn't share food it's the number one rule for him
1: Number one rule, number one rule. That's right, that's right. Can't can't share food with Bartolo. He'll, he'll eat it all. So, we'll we'll leave you on that. So, we'll be back next week. Hope you guys enjoyed it.